Most of the Sundays this next year will be reflecting on the Gospel of Mark. And I always think it's such a privilege to be able to reflect on Mark's Gospel because we believe that Mark's Gospel was the first of the four to be written at a very early time, probably in the mid-60s A.D., so 30 30 or so years after uh, Jesus died and, and rose again. We don't know a lot about the author, Mark, Uh, But we think that he was uh, a disciple of St. Peter. And therefore, because Peter was in Rome as its first bishop in the the 60s AD, um, Mark would have been there with him. So we believe that Mark's gospel was written in Rome in the mid to later 60s. And that was a terrible time in Rome for Christians, for the early Christian community. Uh, the emperor was Nero, who, as, as we know from history, uh, was, the first, uh, was the first emperor to really persecute Christians. <clears throat> there was, uh, again, according to history, the, the great fire that was started in Rome, and many people thought that Nero, the emperor himself, was actually responsible for the fire. But Nero blamed the Christians and then started a persecution against them. And the Christians were, were killed in terrible ways. They would be wrapped up in, in animal skins and uh, thrown into the Colosseum where they would be uh, torn apart by wild beasts. He would have Christians tied up in, in his parks, covered with tar and lit on fire to provide light. Uh, at the nighttime in the parks. It's just a horrific persecution that was happening at that time. And so that was about the time that Mark's gospel was being written. Peter the apostle at that time was, was, was killed. He was crucified upside down in Nero's circus. And this, that site would become St. Peter's Basilica. St. Paul was also killed in Rome at about that time. Uh, He was killed outside the city, uh, beheaded. So when we hear the words of Mark's gospel, we hear words that were composed at one of the most tumultuous times in our our history as Christians. It was also the first, because it's the first gospel to be written, it was the first time that those Christians who didn't know Jesus, which would have been pretty much everyone besides St. Peter who was living in Rome at the time, when those people heard the gospel proclaimed for the first time, they were hearing Jesus' words for the first time. How powerful it is to think about this. And we're so privileged this morning to hear those first words that those Christians in Rome would have heard uh, proclaimed by Jesus. And this is what he says, this is the time of fulfillment The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The word gospel here comes from, the Greek word is evangelium. That's the word that we get evangelization from. And that word literally means good news. Repent and believe in the good news, Jesus says. And so in Rome at that time, how was this good news? when 
Christians were being persecuted so terribly by a despotic and authoritarian uh, leader? Well, it's because Jesus was proclaiming that a kingdom, a new kingdom, has arrived in his person, the kingdom of God. And so that those who repented and believed in the gospel were, even though they might have been subject bodily to the Emperor Nero, even though they would have had to pay taxes, even though they were responsible legally in, as citizens of Rome, Jesus came to proclaim a kingdom whose values were so different than the emperor's values, whose values were so different than worldly values. What are worldly kingdoms concerned with? Worldly things, power, privilege, pleasure, wealth, possessions. Jesus' kingdom is very different than this. What is Jesus' kingdom made of? What's well, a kingdom of love? It's a kingdom of humility. It's a kingdom of mercy, a kingdom of forgiveness, a kingdom of peace and nonviolence, a kingdom where the poor find a home, a kingdom where sinners find forgiveness, a kingdom where those who have been excluded and left out find a place to belong. So this is why this message was such good news for those people who first heard Jesus' words because of the proclamation of this very gospel, that they were subject to a different and higher king than Caesar. They were subject to the king of the universe, Jesus, the true king. And this is why the Christians were willing to lay down their life for him, because they believed that this life is not the end, but that we're meant for eternal life with God. They were looking forward to a real kingdom, not this violent one, this vindictive one, this revengeful one of Emperor Nero. So what happens immediately in today's gospel after Jesus proclaims the gospel message, the kingdom of it is at hand? Well, he walks by the Sea of Galilee, and who does he see there? Simon, whom he will rename Peter, and Peter's brother Andrew. They're fishing. Jesus says to them, come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they leave their nets, and they follow him. Jesus walks along a little farther. He sees two more brothers, James and John. He says the same thing to them, invites them to follow him. And they do. They leave their father and the other hired workers, and they follow Jesus. When, when Peter and, and Andrew and James and John leave behind their nets, their boats, in the case of James and John, they leave behind their father, the other hired workers, this is a symbol that they're leaving their old life behind and now they have a new life with Jesus. They become followers of Jesus. They become subjects to this new king. This is also the way that, that Jesus has structured his church because we believe that the 12 of which these are the first four, Peter, Andrew, James, John. There would be eight more that Jesus calls. 
that these were Jesus's not only disciples, but his first bishops and priests. And that after the resurrection and ascension of, of Jesus, they would go out through the whole world and they would proclaim the gospel. So something so important that's happening here. These are the, he's the leaders of, of, of the church that he's calling that we get to hear about today. Isn't it interesting that the first four called were fishermen? That means at least one-third of the 12 apostles all have this as their vocation, fishermen. Isn't it interesting? I just got back from vacation with my, um, some of my, my priest friends, guys I went to the seminary with, really my best friends. Two of them are very avid fishermen. And so uh, they were fishing every day. We were on the ocean. And uh, the big debate between the two of them was what the right bait to use was. You know, if they needed to use live bait, they needed to find some small fish or some shrimp, uh, or if, if they could just find something flashy that will catch the fish at fish's eyes. So this was going back and forth between them. The, uh, they didn't catch very much, but, but my one classmate caught this, did catch this beautiful silver fish. It was about a foot long, about nine inches tall, completely silver, orange, orange-rimmed, uh, fins on the top and the bottom. It's just beautiful. It looked like something out of a cartoon. It, it was so vibrant. He was so happy to have caught it. But I was thinking about their debating about the bait. What's the right bait to use? Because this is really the role of the fisherman, is to figure out how to attract fish to his lines so that he can catch them and reel them in. And it was four people, four men who were experts at this craft of attracting fish, drawing them into themselves, catching them, that Jesus would make his first priest, essentially. So what's going on here? Well, well, for one thing, when we see this passage, we see that Jesus has successfully fished for them. He's caught them in the course of this conversation he had with them. Come after me, I will make you fishers of men. They abandoned their nets and followed him. So first of all, Jesus fished for these men, caught them, reeled them in. Now they would be his, his disciples. But he says to them, I will make you fishers of men. So in other words, they don't have to give up their occupation of fishing once they become his priests. They simply change the object for which they're fishing. They're not going to be fishing for fish anymore. Now they're going to be fishing for people. And how are they going to do that? Well, they have to become attractive. Not attractive physically, but attractive personally. They have to be able to attract people to themselves like Jesus attracted people to himself. And how is that going to happen? Well, Jesus is going to draw them into his closest circle of friends, and they're going to spend so much time together. And what's going to happen in the course of that time? They're going to become like him. 
They're going to become, like our church tells us, an altar Christus, which means another Christ. That's what the priest is, according to our our faith, another Christ. And so these men, having become like Christ, are going to be sent out to teach and preach and heal, and through their words and deeds, are going to attract more people to Christ. Not to themselves so much, but, but to Jesus. They'll become fishers of men. So as I was reflecting on this this morning, as I was reflecting on being on, on vacation with my very close priest friends, I was just thinking about this, um, my friend who caught the, the, the silver fish. A number of times when we were together, he said, man, I just love being a priest. And um, every time he said it, I, I was it's moved by, by those simple words because I, sh- I share that gratitude. I share that gratitude that God called me. So it's my responsibility to spend time with Jesus so that I can be like him, to study the Gospels so that my words can be more and more Jesus' words, that my thoughts can be more and more Jesus' thoughts, that when people encounter me, they don't encounter so much like me with my own personality, which can be good or bad, but rather Jesus in me, so that I can be a fisher for him, a fisher of people, catching people for him, not for me, but for Jesus. Of course, this is all of our vocation as the baptized. Because what happens at our baptism, we become a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it means literally to be another Christ. So I'm conformed to Christ by the sacrament of holy orders, but we're all conformed to Christ through our baptism. We all have this call to so become transformed in Jesus that when people look at us, they'll see something attractive, not physically, but something from our heart that's attractive, something that's like Jesus, love, mercy, forgiveness, a peacefulness, a desire to include people so that we all can be fishers, not a fish, but a people, attracting people to Jesus, the one true king, and don't, doesn't our world need exactly that? People who attract others to Jesus. So let's ask the Lord today to um, fulfill this gospel in our own lives, that as we hear the gospel, we'll be so taken that we too want to leave our old life of sin behind and embrace the new life of the gospel, and that, that Jesus will really transform us, transform our hearts to be like him, so that when people see us, they see him and are attracted to him through us, so that more and more people can come to know the deep love of Christ our King.